0: When it gets to quarter past twelve, just remember the verse from Revelation which says, he who endures to the end will be saved. (laughs) As Christians, we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, i.e. there is one true being of God who subsists in three divine persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What I would like to do today is to focus specifically on the person of the Holy Spirit. Obviously in a one-off study like this, I'll have to be selective. So the aim is to give a broad sweep of the Bible's teaching on the Holy Spirit. And hopefully this will encourage you to look into things further for yourselves. Our roadmap today covers three areas. First, we're going to think about who is the Holy Spirit. We're then going to think about, well, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And then what are the implications of that in our Christian lives today? Because it's such a big topic, I thought that I would frame our thoughts mainly around our Lord's teaching on the Holy Spirit as found in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and in chapter 16. Okay, so John chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then down to verse 25 these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Then, if we flick over a few pages to John chapter 16 and verse 12. The Lord says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot Bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, the first thing that I want to think about is just who is the Holy Spirit? Well, What we're going to realize is that the holy spirit is a person not some mysterious force or an abstract concept we can tell this because our lord uses personal pronouns when referring to him if you look at john 14 verse 17 there it says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's also referred to as doing things. So in John 16:13 it says, "When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come." So clearly, this points to the actions of a conscious person involved in two-way communication, not only speaking, but also hearing. But what we discover also from the Bible is the Holy Spirit is a divine person. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Holy Trinity. Another term that you might hear in this regard is the deity of the Holy Spirit and that means the same thing. So let's demonstrate this important truth with four proofs. So the first proof is in how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. In John 14, verse 16, it says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So how does that prove it? Well, Jesus was soon going to depart but he wasn't going to leave the disciples high and dry. He was going to give them another helper. Now, up to this point, Jesus was the one who was the disciples' helper. They had enjoyed the fellowship, teaching, care, and love of the very Son of God. Jesus was the divine way and the truth and the life. So let's not underestimate the quality of helping that we're talking about here. To put it mildly, Replacing Jesus as helper would be quite a tough task. But thankfully, he wasn't going to leave that in the hands of an amateur. Now, when the Lord used the term another helper, he used a particular word for another. And that is the word alos. Alos means another of the same nature. He was talking about another helper of the same quality as himself. Another who would be able to competently fill his shoes and carry out the role of helper just as effectively as he had done. And so I submit that such a role could only be performed by a divine person. And so our conclusion is that the Holy Spirit is God. So Jesus taught the deity of the Holy Spirit, but so did the apostle Peter. In the book of Acts in chapter five, we read about Ananias and Sapphira. And this couple sold a piece of land, but pretended to give all of the proceeds to the apostles for use in the church. However, they kept back some of the money for themselves. So Peter takes Ananias to task about this and says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? You have not lied to man, but to God. So Peter equated lying to the Holy Spirit with lying to God. So proof number three then is from the lips of the Apostle Paul. And he believed in the deity of the Holy Spirit as well. In Acts chapter 28, Paul was under house arrest for his faith. But nevertheless, people were allowed to come and visit him and to listen to him preach And it was on one of these occasions that he used the Old Testament to speak about Jesus. But some disbelieved him. And Paul's response then was this. He quoted from the prophet Isaiah. And he said, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. Who was speaking? The Holy Spirit. And then go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Paul is quoting actually from Isaiah chapter six. And when we read Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, it says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he, that is the Lord said, and here we have our quotation, go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So, according to Paul, the Holy Spirit spoke these words through Isaiah. And when you actually read in Isaiah, we are told it's the voice of the Lord. So the conclusion must be that the Holy Spirit is divine. Now, fourth and final proof, and there are many others, but for this morning, the fourth one I want to think about is The Great Commission. And this is a very important proof found in Matthew chapter twenty eight. And it was our Lord's instructions to the disciples, and he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now let's just say Jesus had said, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of John the Baptist. You would probably rightly say, what gives John the right to be included in such a lineup? Surely God doesn't share his glory with another. And furthermore, let's remember that a name in Bible times was not just an identifying label, but it also signified the nature and the character of the person. The nature and character in this case are divine, so including a mere mortal in the lineup would be absolutely ridiculous. Notice also that the verse says, "In the name, singular, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." Therefore, the name of God and everything that that entails is shared by all three persons. But that's not all, because the verse can be read baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So that gets across our idea of the Christian's union with God. So the Holy Spirit isn't just getting some sort of an honorary mention. The Holy Spirit is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-divine with the Father and the Son. And that's why he is included here. Okay, so, so far we've established that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a divine person. And so agree Peter, Paul, Matthew, and Jesus. But let's move on. And what we're going to think about now is what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, our passage in John 14 and verse 16 says the Holy Spirit was to be a helper. And this is a rich term which includes the idea of comforter, helper counselor, corrector, and also of advocate. Helper certainly does not mean some sort of celestial scratcher to provide pampering when desired. No, the Holy Spirit would present his disciples' needs before the Father and provide them with the assurance and the comfort and wisdom, and even correction, needed for their earthly journey. So I thought, well, are there any ways from scripture that we can demonstrate how the holy spirit helps us well one marvelous way in which the holy spirit helps us is in presenting our prayers to god in an acceptable manner paul in romans 8 says and these are familiar words likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It doesn't come much more encouraging than that. God is fully aware of our weaknesses, as Vivian has said earlier on. And even a sigh of desperation, if directed in faith to God through the Spirit, will be heard and accepted by him. Another way in which the Holy Spirit helps us is in the giving of spiritual gifts to the church. And of course, a key passage for this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Don't need to turn to it, but here we find that there is a great variety of gifts described. Some of the gifts are public and some of them are more behind the scenes, but they're all essential. Paul uses the wonderful illustration of the body to teach that the gifts must all work together in unity and balance and in harmony. Now, of course, the gifts of the Spirit are too numerous to go over in detail this morning, but they do have some things in common, as is clear from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Then verse seven says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse 11 says, all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So to summarize this, all of the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. The purpose of all of the gifts is for the benefit of the whole body. They are for the common good and not just the person with the gift. And then the allocation of all of these gifts is a sovereign act of the Holy Spirit. It says that he gives to each one as he wills. So we don't get to choose. It's all in accordance with his will. And incidentally, I found this interesting that where it says there... In verse 7, the common good. This term, the common good, has this idea of continually and consistently bearing weight together. We get our word carry from it. So the Christian life, both in church and outside, is a mutually beneficial team pursuit. Now, another role of the Holy Spirit, and, and Nigel prayed this this morning... Um, is that he is our indweller. And we find that in chapter 14 of John, verse 17. It says, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the language of deep integration. The Holy Spirit was not going to be playing an inconsequential role in the lives of the disciples, he would be in them forever. Christ's teaching on this union is in lockstep with the teaching of the Apostle Paul. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have of God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Realise too that this union includes being added to the body of Christ, implying our integration with Christ and with one another, regardless of status or race. 1 Corinthians 12 and 12 says, "'For just as the body is one and has many members, "'and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, "'so it is with Christ. "'For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, "'Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, "'and were all made to drink of one spirit.'" So it's very important to realize that every Christian is blessed with the indwelling union of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an optional add-on that follows our conversion sometime further down the road, but it is a gracious, essential benefit to all who are Christ's. We were all baptized into one body. Listen to Romans eight and nine. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the the next role of the Holy Spirit, yep, it's working. um, The next role of the Holy Spirit is that of life giver. And we sometimes use the term regeneration to describe this. Regeneration is a sovereign work of God whereby he gives us eternal spiritual life and makes us alive to God. It's just one of the many beautiful aspects of God's plan of salvation. In John chapter 3, Jesus spoke to a ruler of the Jews called Nicodemus on the subject of being born again, or the words can be translated, regenerated from above. And Jesus attributed this to the Holy Spirit. John 3.3 says... Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or regenerated from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it goes or where it comes from. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Not surprisingly, the Apostle Paul also agrees with this. In Titus chapter 3, it says, But when the goodness and kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works of righteousness done by us, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So to sum this up the Holy Spirit plays an essential role in our salvation. So moving swiftly on we come to the the final role of the Holy Spirit that I have here today and that is he is the giver of Scripture. First of all the Holy Spirit gave us the Old Testament. We saw this earlier on as an example when Paul was quoting Isaiah chapter 6 and attributing this to the Holy Spirit. But this is also clear from Peter's second letter. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's consider another example, very similar. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were coming under persecution because of their faith. And then, when their fellow Christians heard about this persecution, they offered a prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of David your servant said, By the Holy Spirit? Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord. And his anointed. This prayer was actually a quotation from Psalm 2 verses 1 and 2 and it's actually another example of the Old Testament scripture being attributed to the Holy Spirit. But what about the New Testament? Well if we look again at our chapter in John chapter 14 we'll discover that the Holy Spirit is responsible for the New Testament as well. Jesus made a promise to the disciples. He said in John 14:26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then in John chapter 16, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all of the truth. So note three things from these verses. The promise of the Lord was made to the apostles. Two, they would be given the truth about Christ, all that I have said to you. And then in chapter 16 there, the revelation would be complete. They would be given all of the truth. So if the Lord kept his promise, there should be no need for any additional scripture or revelation after the apostles died. The Lord's promise was to provide the apostles all of the truth, and so this would have been fulfilled. This would also rule out any non-apostolic literature from being included in the Bible. And I really love this. Christ reinforced this with a prayer in John 17. He said, I have given them, the apostles, your, God the Father, word. And he goes on to say in that prayer, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. So Jesus taught that the words of the apostles would be something worth believing in that their words would be accurate enough and authoritative enough to convey God's word to believers down through the ages. And of course, we have these words today inspired by the Holy Spirit and accurately preserved in the New Testament documents. And one more verse that I know I don't really have time to read, but I'm sorry, I'm going to read it, is in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, because this is a, is a, a great one whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul and Christ in lockstep there. So let's um, take stock. We've discovered that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He is our helper that he indwells us and that he gifts us, uniting us with Christ and with one another. He has given us new life and then the New Testament scriptures as well as the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, now what I would like to do in our closing moments is to consider what are the, what are the implications of all of this? You didn't know what was coming there? Um, what, what are the implications of all of this for us? Well, I see six lessons and the first lesson is that the Holy Spirit is God so we should revere him the Holy Spirit is a person the third person of the Holy Trinity never refer to the Holy Spirit as an it perhaps the best way to revere the Holy Spirit is to make much of Christ in our church gatherings and in our conversations with others Remember that Jesus said, he, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is not saying that the Holy Spirit is somehow inferior, but that there are distinct roles within the Trinity. The second thing that we can learn from this is that the Holy Spirit is our divine helper and indweller, so we can face the many challenges of life with confidence. You don't need me to tell you that God's people are not exempt from trials and difficulties in life, but we do have a divine helper and comforter who can give us the grace and strength to cope with life's challenges. Take to heart our Lord's words, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And remember John's words in his first letter, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And be encouraged too, that the indwelling spirit actually is God. This whole idea of the deity of the Holy Spirit isn't just for scholars, it's not just talking fodder. There's something there for us to really cling to. You know, we don't just have a paltry supply of spiritual resources to help us, you know, just about scrape through our, our trials, but we have an abundance of grace to stand firm through Christ who strengthens us with the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. And of course, that's not to to make light of trials or anything like that. We all do have, from time to time, crushing burdens to bear. But let's not forget our standing as the people of God, indwelt by God. The other thing to remember is that we are not our own, so we should glorify God. God said, be holy, for I am holy. It's always a healthy thing, I think, to take stock of how things are going in the holiness department of our lives. How sensitive is my conscience these days? Are my thoughts and actions compatible with the Holy One who lives within me? Or do I think I can live my life in a neutral and sinful manner with no thought or regard for Him? Ephesians 4 and 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If we are truly sensitive to the Holy Spirit, we will seek to live our lives in a non-spirit grieving manner, glorifying God and edifying those around us. Just a few more points here. Point number four is that the scriptures should be central in our lives. Read your Bible. As we have seen, God in the person of the Holy Spirit breathed out the scriptures. So let's take the time to read and obey them. He will enable you them, He will enable you to understand them. And remember that all scripture is breathed out or spirited out. By God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And if these things are important to us, if we want it to be complete and fully equipped as Christians, then we will read our Bibles. You're enduring well. We've just got two more brief points to make. Remember that you're not weird. Um, in John 14:17, it says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. If people think that you're weird or that your faith is odd, this should not come as a shock. Instead, we should view this as confirming God's word let's remember again that God is within us. Let's lay hold of this blessing with gratitude and never forget that these same people who are antagonistic towards the faith are actually indeed our mission field. The final thing that I want to talk about, the final implication of all of this about the Holy Spirit is to take your gifting seriously. Whatever role God has given you in the church, do it with all your might and for his glory. Don't think that your gift is unimportant or insignificant. Remember that God, the Holy Spirit, has given it to you and it is for the benefit of the body of believers, not for your own ego. Try to be a weight bearer. (coughs) This might include sharing a thought at the breaking of bread, making an effort to ask someone how they are keeping, giving them the time of day and praying for them. It might be helping someone out in a practical way. You don't have to be in the pastoral care team to give someone a phone call to see how they're keeping. There are no vestigial or useless organs in the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. So prayerfully ask God to help you to fan your gift into flame, as Paul said to Timothy. Now, there is much more that could be said about the Holy Spirit, but hopefully this brief study will encourage you to look into the topic further. I know I've covered a lot of references, and I do have a handout at home with all of the references on it, and so if you're interested and would like to go over the references again, do let me know and I can send it through to you. So thank you for your attention, and we'll close in a word of prayer. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlerayfellowship.com. God bless.